What's your name, son? I don't need one. Um. Solo. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 95 and 96, which begin with Enola clapping back at the Mariner and end with the Mariner taking back his crayon. Our special guests today are Pete the Retailer and Tom Taylor from ABC Devo. No relation. (laughs) Separated at birth. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we're from ABC Devo and currently ABC TOS, where we're doing Star Trek. We've been in a sci-fi vein lately. Yes. So we're ready for Waterworld, because that's sci-fi, right? Yeah. You would yeah, call it sci-fi. Absolutely. It's totally fiction, so... Future and whatnot. Yeah. It's more the Bradbury and sci-fi, where it's like, how we deal with technological advancement, in this case, the aftermath of technological advancement, versus aliens coming down and zapping stuff. So how many different... <laughs> Alphabet-themed podcasts have you guys done? Just the two, or are there more? Well, you, Pete, did uh, Alphabetical. I did Alphabetical with Alex, who I do Star Wars Minute with, and my, our friends uh, John and Adam. And then that caused a little, uh, not as not as much of a community as, as Movies by Minutes, but uh, there's, a, there's a handful of other uh, alphabetical musical podcasts out there. And so Tom and I and John Ingle from Alien Minute and 007 by 7 and our friend Joe Mazel, we decided to do uh, Devo a while back. And then once we were done with that, we we're like, all right, what, what do we do next? Because we like talking to each other and we couldn't land on any. There were no other bands that hit all four of us in the same way. And we also felt a little bit sheepish about the lovers, not experts thing, as they say in James <laughs> Bonding, where it's just like, yeah, you know, I love Devo. But then when we start talking about the actual musical stuff, we feel like idiots. We're not experts. Yeah. Music is hard to talk about. The only common ground, like the, the main the common ground that we found was we talked a lot about Star Trek. So <laughs> then we're like, oh, why don't we just do the uh, Star Trek, the original series in alphabetical order? And that hit everybody the right way. There's a lot to love about that original Star Trek, just because of how earnest they all are. Yeah. <laughs> it's super bright colored earnestness, and, and <laughs> it's not too concerned with creating a saga. It's just like, here's some stories. I just watched one this morning that I hated, and I still had fun, Hmm. because it's a good show. At its base is a good show. (laughs) Spoilers for Pete for our next recording. (laughs) Oh, boy. I was like, wait, you went back and watched Cat's Paw again? Why? (laughs) (laughs) I love going back to where series started. Mm -hmm. Going back to reading the first book, watching the first movie, watching the first series, and like revisiting the innocence before it was this big whole thing. Yeah. It's like going back and watching A New Hope when it was just a movie. Yeah. It wasn't all locked down. Yeah. I'm trying to think of any time when my favorite in a series is not the, let's put the gang together and, and you know, like, obviously this is in release order, as is my one. I'm not going to count <laughs> Phantom Menace as a, although Phantom Menace is my favorite of the of the prequel trilogy. So it's like that that initial kind of like world building, kind of setting everything up is, is usually my favorite chapter of each saga so i agree i think mad max 79 is still my favorite mad max movie oh cool yeah it definitely had a lot of that let's get the gang together and mm-hmm. make a movie energy yeah yeah figure yeah. out what we're doing yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. pete earlier you mentioned finding common ground and i think that's a good 
leaping off point for this clip because as we begin, Anola, who was sitting there, cheeks stuffed with a fish <laughs> that was killed by the Mariner in last week's episode, she points out maybe they were right about you too. And that's a response to the exchange that they had at the end of the last episode where Anola says, oh, people said I was weird. And the Mariner's like, oh, maybe you're right. And then she fires back with maybe they were right about you too. This statement, it confused me because (laughs) (laughs) I had to go back and check what it was in reference to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she delivers it in a kind and generous way. Like she's complimenting him. But I checked back and wait, (laughs) she's not. Right. You know, maybe I wasn't wrong about you. It's like, wait, what? I thought you were weird. What? (laughs) Is she referring to the people in the atoll who were like, oh, he's a mutant, he's a weirdo, he's a... Is that what she's referring to? That that's the assessment of people that are of him, that maybe they were right? Yes. Okay. Because I was unclear on that too at first. Hmm. Although... He should be, you know, put to death. That's what she's agreeing with. That's what she's saying. (laughs) Maybe they were right. right, That you should have been killed. Take that, you. Thanks for the fish. Rick Aviles did want to kill both of them. <laughs> hmm. We saw him in Ghost. We know he likes to kill people, but still. Sure. <laughs> it's been a long time since I brought him up. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, speaking of people in other movies, I want full credit for recognizing this little girl as also being in Napoleon Dynamite and Veronica Mars. I was like, she oh. looks a lot like the girl. Oh my gosh. Okay. I looked it up. There she is. All right. <laughs> Excellent. I pat myself on the back for that. Costner gets a lot of focus here at the end of this scene before we transition into the next one and initially i'm sure he's a little miffed that anola's talked back to him but he kind of set her up for it and at the end of the day it's the point where anola is like hey you are not this gruff loner that no one can sympathize with you and me we have a similarity you know we both we're gonna get Murdered by atollers and tossed into a body pit. (laughs) Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. That's the basis for any strong relationship. (laughs) I haven't seen The Greatest Showman, but I think that was one of the themes that weirdos got (laughs) to stick together. All outcasts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Is that meant to be like a super deep, like not only finding ground, but finding common ground? Mm. Ah. Is that supposed to be the actual theme that well we're all adrift in the world the real dry land was the people we met along the way exactly <laughs> in that it was a bunch of bodies floating and we were able to stand there. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's not dry land huh no the mariner does eventually end up bonding with both helen and enola but his bond with enola is different mm-hmm. i think it's deeper it's richer than his bond with helen which is eh, whatever and i wonder if it starts right here I think it does, because he smiles a little bit. The corner of his mouth twitches upward. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering about that, too. It's a little, uh, you know, Mona Lisa. It's like, wait, am I seeing a smile or is there actually a smile? Am I just looking for one so I see it or is it there? I can't tell. But, yeah, I mean, there's enough there that maybe it's there. Hmm. And, Rick, you said that, you know, that he set her up for her comeback, you know, like, oh, maybe they're right about you. And I almost wonder, like, he's such a loner, he probably doesn't plain old talk to a lot of people so i think that her comeback to him is like out of nowhere to him it's like a slap in the face almost he's like oh look at this she came back at me with a little uh (laughs) thing to make me uh think about myself in a different way son of a gun i 100 percent thought that she was going to do a bluto style just kind of spit food out (laughs) (laughs) 
would that have uh, earned his respect in the same fashion? I don't know. <laughs> she does seem primed for it. Because her cheeks are very full. She was like, mm, like. <laughs> I would not believe my eyes if the Mariner says, oh, maybe they're right. And then you cut back to Nola and she said, do you want to see an impression? And then she does the Bluto thing. Yeah. Right. Try to guess what I am now. I would be flabbergasted if that's what they did as oh, some sort of so gross. call out. And- and that's how yeah. they bond. It's a food fight. And they're like, oh, you know what? You're okay. Yeah. Out of all of leftover humanity, they're the two who remember Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> that would certainly add to Enola's golden child framing. Oh, she's the one child who just magically remembers Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> right. She had cool parents and then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I put down in my note that the Mariner is not the type of man who will sit there and be lectured by a chipmunk just because of <laughs> the way her cheeks are packed with food. Yeah. Mm. I do have to wonder, production-wise, what is in there? I was wondering that, too. What did they yeah. stuff her mouth with to get this look? But she still is able to speak very clearly. Yeah. Probably not cotton balls, Corleone style, because yeah. she is still <laughs> able to talk and get the lines across. Unless... We think it was ADR or something. And you figure it's going to be like take after take. And like, does she just, is it something she just leaves in there? Or is it like she spits into a bucket between takes or something? It sounds so awful. I remember we used to play the game Chubby Bunny. We would do it with either marshmallows or grapes. Why grapes? (laughs) This is a horrible idea. And you just stuff as many in your mouth as you can while still being able to clearly say Chubby Bunny. Wow. And then whoever gets the most in there wins. But I think we all lose because either you have two options and you could consume the marshmallows or grapes mm-hmm. or you could spit them out. Right. Either way, everybody loses. <laughs> it's like when you well, propose the game, you're like, do we really want to start down this road? We know how it's going to end. Yeah. <laughs> and as kids, yes. Yes, we do want to go down this road. Why not? You don't really think that far ahead. And so it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks about cleaning it up. Like, right. hey, am I going to have to sweep up a bunch is, of chewed up my grapes? My parents would play it with us. Oh, it wow. wasn't just us kids. It was the whole family. They should know better. Were they tricking you? Is it like, let's play Chubby Bunny <laughs> with Brussels sprouts? You know? <laughs> yeah. And no spitting. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to see the Blue Man group play Chubby Bunny mm. because oh my if God, you've yeah. seen their stage show, they have that thing where they throw marshmallows across the stage and they mm-hmm. shove an entire bag of marshmallows into their mouth. It's yeah. disgusting. And it then is. regurgitated into like a little mound. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, I bet they're very popular in certain circles. Anyway, <laughs> we are left looking at the Mariner as he goes back to his slicing and Thankfully, because it's a movie, we can cut away from awkward pauses to see (laughs) the trimaran sailing across the moon. I thought, oh man, there are so many movies where the moon looks so massive. And instead of getting caught into a research hole of all of the movies where that happens, like E.T. and Joe versus the Volcano, I instead got sucked into how you do that visually because it's just a Mm. camera effect. It's not CG. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's all about the kind of angle lens that you're using. If your camera is close to your subject and the moon is behind your subject and you're using a wide angle lens at close range, the moon is going to look tiny. But if you move the camera back and use a telephoto lens, 
the moon stays the same size, but because the camera is so far away and you're zooming in on your subject, the moon is going to appear larger. Yeah. There's a cool video of this effect. You go on YouTube, look for Vsauce, a video called the Sydney Opera House Illusion. Hmm. The host, Michael, went to Sydney and he was in his hotel room and looking out his window, he could see the Sydney Opera House. And when he's standing across the room looking through the window, the Opera House looked massive because the window was cutting off his field of view. And as you get right up against the window, suddenly you can see the whole city and the Opera House, in comparison to everything around it, appears, quote unquote, smaller. Mm. But as you adjust your placement back and forth with the window framing everything, the Sydney Opera House appears to grow in relation to the rest of the room. It's very cool. Highly recommend checking it out. Cool. I will. Vsauce is awesome. I really enjoy his videos. They do some great stuff. So you didn't find a list of other... I'm not I'm not not dismissing your, your <laughs> discovery because I'm interested in I'm intrigued in your discovery, but then also once you mentioned it, then my mind started being like, wait, where else are they in front of the moon like that? Yeah. Pete, you come from a movie that is famous for things that are and are not moons. Yeah. Right. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Silhouetted in front of not a moon, I got that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, the two ones that I initially thought of are the ones that I mentioned, E. T. and when I searched on Google image search, Joe versus the volcano popped up as well. Right. But are there other movies that you guys can think of, excluding the movie Melancholia, where the moon is literally falling towards the earth? <laughs> I feel like there have to be some really obvious ones that if we did look it up, we'd be like, oh, of course. But I can't think of, I can think of some sun ones, like sunsets or sunrises. Yeah. Can't I? I'm picturing that shot from Raiders. Where they're all digging, it's the silhouette of Indy and the diggers and stuff, but is the sun actually in that shot? I mean, that's the scene that I thought of, too. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I found it on, on TV Tropes. Here we go. Let's see. Um, where's movies? Films, <laughs> live action. There we go. E.T., last action hero. It's a parody of E.T. It's like all parodies of E.T. <laughs> it's like Naked, naked wow. Gun, two and a half. Spy Hard. Oh, Batman, where, where the bat wing goes up in front of the, the yep. moon. I was, I was thinking of that, but is that actually really huge? Is the moon that big in that shot? It's, I remember well, it's it being a sort of... Appropriately sized to turn into okay. the bat symbol. I don't know. I would count it. I'll allow it. Hmm. Even <laughs> Malcolm X has a scene, which is an homage to E.T. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Spielberg. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When you said it, the first thing I thought of was Joe versus the volcano. And then I was like, oh, yeah, an E.T., I guess. But... um. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, that sounds like a fun little bit of engagement. So listeners, go on the <laughs> Facebook page and give <laughs> yeah. us all of those movies where the moon is super big. Hmm. This scene that we're coming into, it is supposed to be the night after the dinner scene that we just left. But as we cut in on Enola, she is asleep on the netting with a crayon in her hand. And there's a piece of scrap fabric lying on the netting. And the picture on the scrap is depicting a scene that has not yet happened in this movie. Basically, the Mariner <laughs> teaching Enola how to swim. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, I didn't really notice the water and the waves. I thought it was just a picture of the two of them. Yeah, so did I. But mm -hmm. you're right. Yeah, it totally is. Hmm. Couldn't that just be like, that's something she would want to have happen? That's something oh, she's wishing go. for? Yeah. It's like a Christmas list. <laughs> yeah, things to do. Dear Learn to Santa. swim, go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so far in this movie, Enola has drawn a lot of things that she has seen before. And in my mind, I 
was chalking the placement of this scene up to this being ultimately a fan edit. The extended edition is cut together from all of these different places, and they decided to put it here. Hmm. But, and I'm really glad that you brought this up, Tom, this could be Enola drawing something that she would want to happen because she noted in the last scene she wishes she had webbed feet so she could swim like the Mariner, and so she drew a picture of the Mariner teaching her how to swim. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I want to bring something up. (laughs) Please. (laughs) That I brought up a couple weeks ago. Rick shot me down hard. Oh, boy. Like, it killed the conversation he shut me down (laughs) so hard. And I don't know if you've edited that episode yet, but I'm sure you had to fix that. Edit with care. I brought up the idea of her drawing, instead of just being simply a child's proclivity to draw on things, which is very normal and adorable and all of those things. Instead of being that, that perhaps her drawing is motivated by something deeper. Not necessarily supernatural, but I'm open to the idea that it's supernatural. Mm. But like this inner drive, I must draw. Mm. I have these things in my head that I don't know where they came from. And it turns out that they're memories from when she was a baby, which doesn't happen. That's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) She feels a need. She has to draw these things, horses and trees and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I am very open to the idea of some sort of supernatural motivation and ability here because and i'm not sure i made this point strongly enough last time she draws horses and trees she does not remember horses and trees Mm. that is information that is in her brain that her conscious self does not have access to yeah so her drawing is i don't know something more than just normal along those lines this drawing of the mariner teaching her how to swim perhaps it is prophetic Hmm. that she is dreaming of it or wishing it that he would teach her how to swim therefore he does Hmm. the first time they show her drawing which i think is something big is going down on uh, there's a big action piece going down aren't they like beating up the mariner or something on the atoll and she's drawing what's happening or almost what's about to happen like the first time we saw her draw i did kind of have the sense of like oh there's something up with this drawing And maybe it's just from like other science fiction movies or Stephen King books or something. Oh, there's going to be something up with this kid. It's not just a tattoo on her back. (laughs) There's something going on with her. Right. Like she knows something or she's attuned to something. She is the chosen one. She she is the chosen one. Yes. That doesn't sound crazy to me. I kind of had that sense going in that there was something going on with this drawing. Rick, you're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Could we double down? Could we add layers to that? That then like she is predicting her getting taught swimming and then the horses and trees and stuff that she is drawing is not memories but they're looking further ahead to later maybe once things uh i don't know far in the future yeah i really like that that all of her drawings are looking forward that she Mm. is a seer if only she could have drawn a picture of them figuring out that you have to reverse the directions on the thing and stuff and then they can get there faster and (laughs) I don't know if it's because I've grown as a person, but I'm definitely more open to that idea at this point in the movie. Oh my gosh, that was like three weeks ago that that happened. Yeah, which means it was months ago (laughs) podcasting time. (laughs) I'm open to that idea strictly because this is not my movie, and I won't have to deal with the repercussions of that idea. Right. (laughs) If we were to 
throw something like that into Star Wars, I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, there's, there's yeah. some serious implications <laughs> for what... Right. But I'm just a visitor here, so I'm like, yeah, she can see the future, sure. <laughs> there's a lot of safety in reviewing a more obscure movie like Waterworld, where you know that True. there aren't going to be people leaping to the Wikipedia every five right. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> But the people who do are going to be harder core about it. That's the problem. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's very true. I've noticed this with quote unquote bad movies podcasts, some of whom you know are done by people whom I love and respect. And when they tackle something that I, I have a, a strong fondness for, I'm like, no, 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 wait, you don't get it. No, that's... <laughs> you can't just dismiss it like that. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the order of scenes real quick, mm. the reason I thought oh, this got jumbled up, is because in the novelization, which was based on, I'm assuming, an earlier version of the script, the swim lesson scene happens before this. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Which I find weird. It doesn't belong yet. It's not time yet. <laughs> the way they frame it up is that they have their little family dinner. Helen is full of fish and decides to take a nap. And so when she wakes up, that's when the swim lesson is happening. And this is the post-mortem wrap-up to, hmm. hey, thanks for teaching Enola how to doggy paddle and all of that. It really uh, strips away any possibility of Enola being a little Cassandra-type seer. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that really, really, it's <laughs> edited out of order. <laughs> yeah. But you've talked me into this order. <laughs> <laughs> you've talked me into it liking But it. maybe it's edited out of order on purpose. Yeah. Hmm. How it was intended has little bearing on how it's perceived. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the canonical. Yeah. Water cannon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Helen picks up the scrap of fabric from Manola, walks over, and finds the mariner sitting on the bowsprit, and he is listening to a little wind-powered CD player. <laughs> Taking the image and spinning it around and zooming in, I wasn't able to find out more about the content of what he's playing other than he's got a Miles Davis CD, mm -hmm. which for our listeners' benefit, Miles Dewey Davis III was born May 1926, died September 1991, was an American jazz trumpeter, band leader, and composer. He is among the most influential and acclaimed figures in the history of jazz and the 20th century. Davis adopted a variety of musical directions in a five-decade career that kept him in the forefront of many major stylistic developments in jazz. Aside from that case for the Miles Davis album, there is another CD off to the side from Laser Light Digital, which is a mm. budget label for Delta Music based out of Los Angeles, California. Other labels in the Delta Music family include Time Life Music, Reader's Digest Music, and Capriccio. <laughs> wow. I definitely had, I think, more classical than jazz because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I've got a big blind spot when it comes to jazz. Every once in a while, I think about filling in that blind spot, and then, you know, a scene like this makes me, ah, I'm good. But, um, <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm missing out on something, but that's probably yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely had uh, classical CDs that were from Laser Light, that same kind of imprint. And I'm not a huge classical person either, more so than jazz. So I recognize that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Like, I remember going to Tower Clearance and getting some... You know, two dollar laser light CDs. <laughs> There's been talk earlier in the podcast about when exactly this movie takes place, and we've talked about hundreds of years. Among the manufacturers that have done testing, there is a consensus that under recommended storage conditions, which I'm sure does not include anything about <laughs> rising global seas and everything like that. 
that compact discs should have a life expectancy of 100 to 200 years. Hmm. Oh. So if we are too far in the future, yeah, there's no way he's listening to Miles Davis on CD. Hmm. Unless it was hmm. sealed vacuum tight under the water. Right. I guess yeah. there are a lot of factors. <laughs> <laughs> I think the player has a much shorter shelf life than that. Uh, oh, How yeah. is this player <laughs> playing? Oh, because it's got anti-skip technology. Ooh, oh, okay. Right. Well, that clears everything up. But like <laughs> The electrical components would have degraded, especially with salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a hard time getting my disc man to play normally on, you know, like, not in the apocalypse on dry land. <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I can't imagine on a boat in the future. <laughs> I had a discman that I would listen to on the bus going to school, and I had to hold it very carefully so that it would play normal. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my friend was one of the first people I knew to have a CD player in his car, like actually a component in his car, you know, like in the mm. dashboard. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Until we started driving and we hit a bump and the thing would skip and be like, all right, <laughs> yep. it's not quite there yet. I'll see yeah. me in a year. Then I'll think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the uh not the end of the lifespan but kind of right when the things were almost starting to change uh my friends bought me i think for my birthday my friends got me uh my roommates got me a, a disc man that would also play a cdr full of mp3s Ooh. and it was like oh this is the future and i got up got on the bus you know to go to work and i stuck in a, i had carefully curated this disc of mp3s and i go and i hit play and like about Two-thirds of the way through the first song, it died because reading the MP3s was a super battery drain that you can only do when it's plugged in. And so I was like, oh. I was oh like, if you can only battery, do put it this on your while backpack. it's plugged in, why, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just play it off my computer? But, wow. Oh, so. I have fond memories of my first MP3 player because it was basically a USB thumb drive that had a big chunk of plastic with a headphone jack adapter and you would plug the thumb drive from your computer into this extra chunk of plastic and that's where you would have your play your pause your next your back your headphone jack and mm. it was such an easy transition from stuff on the computer to stuff on the player and I was never one of those people that really had a lot of success getting iPods so that mm. was my first mp3 player yeah. <laughs> I kind of skipped over the portable MP3 player phase. Mm. I had my Discman for a long time. Oh. Oh, probably until I had a car of my own and no longer needed it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was just looking through in a desk drawer next to me with a bunch of uh, uh, no longer current iPhones. I thought I also had an iPod in there that I rescued oh. from, from Alex Robinson that he was... he. <laughs> he was he was he held on to the iPod for a really long time because it, it's a good you know, for music. It's much better. Oh, there! I just looked Tom's, in the drawer Tom's next to me one. and I look did find that. an iPod. Oh. Yeah, look at that. Yep. <laughs> I but, do uh, yeah. have an iPod somewhere. I feel like I was just a discman tourist. Like I never fully got into it. I just did it because it's like okay, this is good for now. This is what I what we're supposed yeah. to do. But I, this I is like next. I held on to cassettes for probably longer than I should have, and then jumped, like, just barely touched on Discman right into MP3 players. Yeah. My timing was a little bit odd. I started out on cassettes. I didn't have a Walkman, though. Just a cassette player in my bedroom sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I switched over to CDs pretty early. I don't know. It was maybe 11, 12 when I switched over to CDs. So I didn't have very many cassettes. And mm -hmm. then I was just on CDs for... A long, long time. Yeah. 
briefly, I was uh, recording an interview with somebody, a, a musical artist who was very young. The interviewer was talking about, like, right, so what kind of music did you listen to growing up? And she talked about, oh, you know, I, all kinds of, you know, stuff that, like, oh, yeah, my parents listen to this and this. And, and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, just whatever kind of popular stuff was on, you know, go get the throw on a record and she was like oh no no they weren't they weren't hipsters they weren't cool they just had it on cd <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> you know she was young enough that they're like vinyl is cool and not the old thing that happened before a cd it was just yeah. like no no normal people listen to cds and if you're cool then you're oh my so god it, she, completely with a straight face she was like no yeah that they're no they weren't cool they just had it on cd they <laughs> well for that generation they should come out with like a portable i don't know like 45 player that goes on your hip and it's <laughs> awful like every move you make ruins everything but you know just give it a try see if yeah. it'll, you know throw them a bone i imagine <laughs> if people are careful enough and dedicated enough you could probably preserve your vinyl records in an apocalyptic situation mm -hmm. sure i know we've talked about them in the past we've actually seen vinyl records in a mad max movie before I was gonna specifically say, yeah. from thunderdome Right. And it turned out to be a French lesson, which <laughs> how disappointing that must have been. Yeah. Hmm. The records lasted longer than French. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine, yeah, if people cared, you could probably preserve your CDs, preserve your vinyl. You'd probably be better off preserving your vinyl because the technology to play the disc right. is a bit more low tech. Yeah. You could do it with a needle and a cup. Versus... Exactly. If you try that with a CD, it doesn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Believe me, I know. If this movie was made, like, uh, I guess, like, now or something, and you want, still wanted to have the scene, wouldn't it probably be a turntable? They wouldn't try to, like, go back to the CDs. They wouldn't, you know, or even a cassette. Because you, you're right. I mean, it, it is like a, it's a needle, and vibrations go through the needle, and it comes out of a speaker. You can imagine people cobbling that together yeah. in that time. Yeah. 1995 is screaming at us when we see this CD player. <laughs> Although, <laughs> yeah. Although you don't get that really subtle, non-existent pun of it being a CD. Right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I agree. If this movie was made today, this would be vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. In this yeah. scene. Yeah. Or like a big wax cylinder. Well, especially if you're going to be like, I mean, I guess this is this it was a 90s attitude of being like, oh, if you're a real, you know, jazz fan, you want to hear it as clear as possible. So you would play it on a, this is, you can sense my, disassociation with jazz and, yeah. and the jazz quote-unquote scene but like you would want it in the 90s i feel like it was very much like you know like oh here i'm going to subject you to a demonstration of how awesome this sound setup is by playing some really loud jazz and uh <laughs> that it seemed like that kind of a thing like oh like jazz is perfect for now you can really capture all the sounds and it's this is what jazz is all about whereas i feel like now it's gone back to being like no man you want the warmth mm, of a vinyl yeah. recording you want that you know analog sound to really capture what it's what it's like live so i feel like if they did it now it would definitely be vinyl yeah there was a video on youtube i keep bringing up youtube this episode but a presenter named brian david gilbert did an examination of what kind of music would thrive in an apocalypse mm -hmm. and his final conclusion was that ska was the perfect mm. post-apocalyptic genre of mo what? music interesting um, mostly I mean I don't like strongly disagree. I just I'm very curious about the reasoning. Yeah, it's very percussive. It's very loud. It's very exuberant. Mm. If you are in the midst of a vehicle armada, you can blast it out really loud. <laughs> 
Speaking of vehicle armadas, you could go the easy route and say, oh, well, it's an apocalypse. You're going to have drums and you're going to have weird cobbled together flamethrowing guitars. You're going to have the Diff Warrior. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, I guess. Go back to the, you know, the first instruments that we were able to make, you know, you got percussion and you got horns, Mm -hmm. essentially. So you, all right. I'm picturing like a ska group made of like banging on, you know, animal skins and blowing through ram (laughs) horns. Is there any ska with a didgeridoo? suits and stuff yeah Yeah, they're still they're still cool yeah the post-apocalypse is going to be a wonderland for acapella and barbershop quartets as well (laughs) (laughs) i drink my pee (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's going to be a lot of college and university level glee clubs when the world ends they're gonna be like ah now is our time (laughs) right (laughs) we will be the kings of music i foresee a possibility where the apocalypse is brought on by those groups, like a secret cabal of acapella groups, mm. so that they can <laughs> shine. Yeah. They hate regular musicians so much. <laughs> they will destroy the world. They sent out like an electromagnetic pulse to, to like, now no one can have electricity and we will all sing in <laughs> harmony. <laughs> Keith Richards, who is still alive, is like, oh, my yeah. electric guitar won't play now. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan is now acoustic again. Right. <laughs> you guys sent me the epic length mm-hmm. version, the Ulysses cut, which I, I told you I could not get to work on my computer for some reason. So I just rented the regular version, which is still, you know, like two and a half hours or something like that. And this moment with the CD player is not in that version, which I found kind of interesting. Hmm. And her questioning, like, hey, what's your name? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't need a name. Like, that's not in there either. So that's kind of interesting that these two little pieces are not in the theatrical version. I think I understand why. I don't think this scene really drives the plot forward much. I mean, it does show some kind of normalizing of their relationship aboard the Trimoran, which has been quite fraught up till now. Mm -hmm. It's nice. But I don't think it's required. You got to show at least one instance of Helen warming up to the Mariner somehow. Yeah. Sure. And it does yeah. clarify that he doesn't have a name. Because mm-hmm. in this edition of the movie, that is an important detail. Yeah. All right. Yeah. When I saw that, that like the CD thing was in there, that I'm like, did they cut that just because it raises too many questions? Like we just spent 20 minutes talking about CDs. We were like, no, wait, really? Wait a minute. <laughs> I think it was music rights. They couldn't. Uh... <laughs> right. They couldn't. Yeah. Uh, the Miles Davis estate yeah. right. wasn't playing right. ball. 30 seconds of generic <laughs> jazz. <laughs> I was trying to think about if I suddenly found myself in the apocalypse, what CDs would I want to have hooked up mm. to my little pinwheel CD player? <laughs> and I know it's kind of a cop-out, but I think I would want greatest hit CDs. Yeah, I made a list of CDs I would think of, and, and, I, and I, I have a greatest hits on there, and I'm like... That's fair. In this situation, that's fair. You know, that's that's appropriate. You want a you want a nice uh, collection of stuff. Yeah, I don't want it to feel like pandering, but like one of the CDs that I would want in the post-apocalypse is the Beatles one album, where it's just all of mm. their number one hits on mm-hmm. one disc. Sure, I can see that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Although my choice is a soundtrack, so it does have a variety of musicians on it. Yeah. The is, CD that I would bring is the Bodyguard soundtrack. I was just about to say, I bet it's the Bodyguard <laughs> Wow. For a couple of reasons. For one, it was my very first CD. It was for my 12th birthday. 
Uh, it's my very first CD, and it's Whitney Houston. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it has five or six Whitney Houston songs, and then like five or six other people songs. Mm. Cool. And there's only one song on that whole entire CD that I don't like. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. It's Aaron Neville. I don't like Aaron Neville. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because I think Aaron Neville is on one that I would include. And this is probably because more of just association with it. And like I would make this decision. And then after like two years in the apocalypse, I'd be like, damn, I should have taken something else. <laughs> <laughs> but the Pump Up the Volume soundtrack, I listened to so oh. much at the time. Oh, no, it's Ivan Neville. Sorry. Ivan Neville does Why Can't I Fall in Love, not Aaron Neville. I knew there's a different Neville. But then also you have the problem of some of the best songs from the movie are not on the soundtrack. And so it's a weird, uh, I think just purely for nostalgia, I would want that one. And it, it has to go back to soundtracks, I feel like. It depends on who's with me, too, because I feel like if I'm not going to have a movie, I would, you know, like listening to the soundtrack from the original Star Wars is, mm. is very evocative of the movie in my head so I could replay it. But also if I'm with my family, they're going to get really tired of me just constantly like barking out all the lines while the music is going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like redoing like, I, I, it could be fun though. I guess maybe we could turn it into a like, no, now you say holding her is dangerous. You know, make it, make it into a like, <laughs> depends on the scenario, I guess. But soundtracks, I think definitely could be the way to go. As a side note to what you were just saying, Pete, that is my favorite scene from Reign of Fire, where Christian Bale and Gerard (laughs) Butler are doing that. But one soundtrack that I just thought of that may not necessarily win me any points, but the first Shrek movie had a (laughs) very fun soundtrack. Okay, I had that soundtrack too. (laughs) And it was an excellent soundtrack. It was on my regular (laughs) rotation because it is an amazing collection of songs. Yeah, it's very fun. Mm. I had a lot of soundtracks. I was also thinking about, well, two things. This all ties back to CDs. And I think CDs in their natural habitat are just scattered around a dorm room floor. And so (laughs) that leads to two different things. And one, like, I had a hard time explaining to my kids exactly why, like, certain songs totally stick out and I get a little bit of, like, anxiety because I know that's where the skip was. That's where the scratch was. And the CD would always skip during that song. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you have to, this is where, just keep going and going and going. (laughs) (laughs) I have a Christmas song that was in heavy, heavy rotation as a child. And it was Mm. on vinyl. So it had a skip in the same Mm -hmm. place every single time. So now when I listen to that song, I listen to it often on YouTube during Christmas time, I still mentally skip. At that part. Exactly. Yeah. I think that would happen here, especially to the Mariner and his his friends. There would be like that one CD. They'd be like, oh, yeah. They would just accept it as part of the song, I think, right? He would know better, but they would be like, oh, yeah, cool. I have actually inherited somebody else's knowledge of a skip in a record. A friend of mine told me about a jukebox at his school that had Any Way You Want It by Journey, and it mm. had a skip in it, and he told me where the skip was. So now when I hear Any Way You Want It... I always repeat, another love and thing, another love and thing, another love and thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Even oh. I never even heard that version, but wow. it's there in my head. It is. Yeah. I would want to like give someone a vinyl record of Billy Joel's Moving Out, Anthony's mm. song, and just mm. have a manufactured skip where he starts talking about heart attack. And as soon as you hit that act, like that's where it repeats. So it's just like another three some odd minutes of those act, act, acts. Wow. Oh, that would be cruel and amazing. It would. All at the same time. 
Speaking of YouTube, they're begging for that. With an X-Acto knife, just kind of like find the perfect spot and be like, okay, here's where the scratch goes. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Similarly, with getting stuff, you know, stuck in a longer loop, uh, again, the CDs that were on the dorm room floor, there were at least two instances where, and this speaks to probably my dorm room life as well as my mental state, my roommate and I, we had on a CD and then it just kept going on repeat. <laughs> and there were at least two instances where I know it was at least 12 hours where just nobody felt like changing it. Oh. Wow. Then it became like a marathon thing. It's like, well, we made it this long. So <laughs> we might as well go how, on forever. Let's see who cracks first. Yeah. We'll tell our grandkids about this. This is who uh, we are. This is what we do yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> so I would absolutely not want to bring REM's automatic for the people. <laughs> Appropriately, uh, title-wise, uh, Enya's watermark. Mm, Both of mm. those were on. Wow. I think Enya wow. went. Enya might have gone a full day, like holy smokes, nonstop. Oh dear. I think somebody was like, "All right, we're going to sleep now." I'm gonna turn it off, and they're like, "Well, you're weak." Like, like no. <laughs> <laughs> and we left it on while we went to sleep. That's great. When my sister was early driving age, she had a crappy, crappy, crappy car, and it only had a cassette player. So she had the Friends soundtrack mm. on cassette, popped it in there, wouldn't come back out. It was stuck <laughs> in there. So it played on repeat, flipping side to side to side oh for, I don't know, my memory says months. I don't know if it was really that long, but oh dear, it's still there. And with that soundtrack, they interspersed, there were little snippets of dialogue in between oh, each movie. Oh wow! So now when I hear one of those songs just out in the world... I remember the dialogue, either before it or after it. Totally. Wow. It's there forever. <laughs> With the mention of Enya, I just had the thought of how cowardly the producers of this movie were that he wasn't listening to Orinoco Flow in this scene. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. That's an excellent <laughs> point. Totally. <laughs> Or like the only CD that he's stuck with in the apocalypse is like, you know, like rain sounds or like babbling brook, like <laughs> yeah, relaxation right. CDs. And he's like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were so many opportunities to throw something in there to get a laugh, to get a wink. Right. And they were all missed. Yeah. Oh, well. For the sake of copyrights. You sure. could definitely put together a mixtape for, hey, the world has flooded and we need music to mm -hmm. sail by. Mm. I'm oh, pretty sure you could throw some Jimmy Buffett on there too. Some yeah. Jimmy Buffett, yes. some uh, Christopher Cross, some oh, yeah. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yacht Rock. Yeah, there you go. Totally. In the water world, Yacht Rock is the only rock. <laughs> right. That's classical music. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Helen walks up to the Mariner and she looks at this little setup he has with the pinwheel and the CD player, the pile of CDs, the computer speakers, and she asks, is that from Dryland? And the Mariner, <laughs> lying like the liar that he is, says, yeah, because this stuff is not from Dryland. Dryland is a tropical island, and this stuff is from the flooded civilization that exists below Waterworld. Hmm. Yeah, he has replaced Dryland in his own head with where he goes, which I believe we learn later is Denver. So he replaces that word, Dryland, with Denver in his head. And so in his own little story, he is answering truthfully. Hmm. 
In the grand scheme of things, yes, this was manufactured on dry land. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was from dry land. Yeah. Yeah. I almost want his answer to her saying, is this from dry land? I just want him to say, yeah, duh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It like, must no, be right. I pulled it out of my butt. <laughs> yeah. At Did some point. Manufacture this at the atoll? Right. No. Right. If it was from water, it would be yellow. Obviously, we all know yeah. that waterproof <laughs> things are yellow. So. <laughs> right. Oh. Like, was she imagining, yeah, like there's like a recording studio on an atoll somewhere. <laughs> like pee on the soundboard. It's like, and, it's like a yeah. transmission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. This is from Trilander. They're little tiny like mer people in, in the inside this box. <laughs> right. playing, There's sea monkeys in there. Playing yeah. generic <laughs> jazz. <laughs> so Helen, she leans back against the jib and she wistfully looks out onto the water and she remarks that she doesn't even know the mariner's name. And he replies by saying that he doesn't need one. Not knowing a lot about how things work on Waterworld, how children are named or anything like that. Every time people talk about names, I think that there is a lot of power in the name, that if you give someone your name, they have power over you. And either that's a real thing, or I've heard too many stories about fairies in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Names are interesting because there are a lot of people who you're like... Oh, he doesn't look like a Rick or something, or he does, you know, like, oh, you know, you're more of a Bill than a Frank or whatever. You know, you, names kind of do, <laughs> I was going to say, names identify people, <laughs> but, they, but they do on a lot of different levels. You boiled it down. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a name, you can always just be that guy from that one time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have one friend, well, yes, friend who I mainly know as uh, the guy from the other day. And the other day is the line waiting to see the Phantom Menace in 1999. <laughs> and mainly, but he's still just like, yeah, you know, Mark, the guy from the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so now it's been, you know, 20 plus years of being like, yeah, you know, the guy from the other day. Yeah. In that circle, a couple of people know what I'm talking about. I feel like people in bands and now podcasts to a certain extent, it's like your name isn't necessarily, your last name never really comes into it. It's your last name is what your band is or mm. what your podcast is. <laughs> right. And yeah. so that, we're, we're getting more kind of into yeah, the original purpose of, maybe not purpose, but the original kind of function of names of like identifying, oh yeah, that guy makes candles, therefore I will call him Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> he will be on this CD that we'll, uh, we're going to listen to nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> the more I think about names, the more I recall that in the Mad Max series, there's not a lot of importance given to names until you hit that fourth movie with Max refusing to give his name to Furiosa. And then it's a character Mm. point at the end Mm. where he says, Oh, my name is Max. Like no one cared what his name was in the other movies. Right. Yeah. In Thunderdome, he was literally the man with no name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if we're, if that's a societal reflection, like now we're super concerned about our names because as we're interacting with a lot more people online, I don't know. I'm trying to make it more. Maybe I'm extrapolating too hard because I don't know where I'm going with this. But, you know, because there's so much interaction with social media, et cetera, that now it's like, oh, you're all about your identity is your, you know, screen name, essentially. So your your name is how you were represented to a lot of people and not like the person I met at a party. Oh, what was their name? You don't know. Your your first your first interaction is like, oh, this person's name. Right. Screen name. And so maybe as a as a society, we're more concerned about, you know, kind of, it's almost like branding mm. and stuff. Whereas previously, we are, your actions spoke louder than words. I don't know. And nowadays, we've made that transition, like you said, Pete, with 
social media and whatnot of the ability to choose our own names. Mm, right. And there's plenty of people who, you know, they have their birth name and they choose to change their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it's because they have transitioned and are choosing a new name or just because. Yeah. You know, I was born with the name Julia, but I don't really feel like Julia represents me. I want my name to be Rebecca. I can do that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can mm-hmm. legally change my name. Even with professionals, like some people are born Henry Jones Jr. and he would rather go by Indiana. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. I remember in college, a guy getting on the shuttle bus that was taking us to whatever, and it was like the first day that people were going to classes, and he's like, hey, everybody. You're like, I've got the attention of the whole bus. He's like, uh, my name is Garrett, but call me G. And I'm like, okay, this guy just got to college. He's going to establish from the get-go his new identity. And I was like, is that going to stick? Like, just announcing it on the bus? Are people going to start calling him G? Or is his name Garrett? I don't know. We're gonna, we'll, we'll see. And I think it actually did work. Good for him. Hmm. I think a lot right. of people take that opportunity to yeah. change their name, especially with college, to change their name. Nobody knows me. I can start over. My sister tried to do it, to change from Christina to Chris. It didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well. It didn't stick. Yeah. I spent all of middle school getting my friends to drop the Y from the end of my name. Be like, no, I am no longer Ricky. I am just Rick. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't work so much either. (laughs) Among some groups, it didn't. Names stick. Yeah, they do. They're hard to change. So the Mariner, I think he doesn't want that kind of commitment. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think it's because he's embarrassed of his name? Do you think he's got a name that he's avoiding, or is he just not want to be kind of locked into anything? Is it more just kind of like, ah, I don't want to, like, names are, are not, names are too real for me, or is it just like, <laughs> yeah. well, Cab, I, don't, I hope they don't call me Irving, you know, like, I don't want them to know. <laughs> Back in a 1991 script written by Peter Rader, who was the principal writer in this movie, and then he got replaced by David Toohey. He gave the Mariner a name in the script, and mm-hmm. it's Morgan, which is not a bad name. No. Certainly not. It's not necessarily embarrassing or anything like that. Right. Well, how was it in the 90s? That's the, that's the thing you have to think about. I guess yeah. it's not too... I guess it's... That wasn't bad, because you had, you know... Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and Tombstone, you had, you had Morgan Earp, and so like... And it goes it back to a, like King Arthur and stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. It was yeah. like a Morgan in that whole thing. But I feel like then since then, it's become more of a kind of millennial's daughter's name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that happened in the aughts. Yeah. Okay. When it became particularly feminine with a, I don't know, with a certain connotation. A little bit, yeah. Hmm. Not to generalize. <laughs> that version of the script was very early on in the process before the Mariner was a fish man. Okay. He was still just a regular dude in that script. <laughs> <laughs> We can't, he can't be named Morgan if he's a fish man. So. Yeah. Now his name is Nemo. <laughs> I suspect that it's possible that he was never given a name because mm. he's always been treated like trash because mm. he was born a mutant. So therefore was thrown out and was never given a name. And he may also be taking that on as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm outside of society. You don't need to label me. I'm just over here. Don't worry about it. Right. Like, his, what, however you take his response, it does sound like a kind of like, eh, shut up. Right. He's been a jerk to her completely this entire time. So, like, not get, even if he has a name, his answer might be, I don't need a name. Stop talking to me. 
Names are primarily used in how we relate to other people. Mm -hmm. And then that helps to drive how we relate to ourselves. But he has no interest in relating to other people. Right. And yeah, mostly no need to. Yeah. But I did just think about whether if he has like a fish name, like uh, like Daryl Hannah and Splash, <laughs> yes. that'd be cool. It's really hard to pronounce. Yeah, if yeah. they like drag it out of him, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't, I'm just gonna just gonna Sorry, call I you. Asked. Can I call you Madison <laughs> or Morgan? <laughs> Madison. <laughs> Presenting itself in stark contrast to the Mariner wanting to remain anonymous and not have connections to people. Helen gives him this scrap of fabric with the drawing on it and specifies that Enola wanted to give this to him. And then she also gives him the crayon because there's been this back and forth tension about don't steal my crayons. These are my crayons. You can't use them. Oh, yeah. I'm going to steal them anyway because I'm a child. So there's this whole mea culpa situation. Here is your crayon back. Here is a nice drawing. This is for you mm -hmm. to tug at the Mariner's heartstrings. Right. I mean, he does, like we just said, like he's kind of like keeping her at arm's length and everything, and he's been a jerk to her the whole time. But this does kind of lead, like he asks about her. He's like, oh, she doesn't look like you. you know, he kind of gets a little bit personal. And so maybe that gesture did sort of, you know, create a little crack for him. But is that, like she says that this, this is her word. Like, do we know, like, is she going to wake up and be like, where's my drawing? Where's my crayon? And <laughs> right, like, yeah. like want it okay, to back immediately. Is she like... Is this really an olive branch or is she just trying to make things? She's like, look, if they, if we can make them kind of a little more friendly with each other right now, this will make my trip a lot easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that idea. It seems like a very motherly thing to do to kind of put words in her child's mouth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she really likes you. Yeah. No, she said you're cool. Yeah. Am I wrong that the drawing is purple? But she had taken a green crayon. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Am I missing something? You're not seeing that wrong. That is okay. 100% <laughs> the case. Yeah. Which okay. means she, as a peace offering, gave back the green crayon, but she still has a purple crayon. Right. right. Yeah. I didn't say I wouldn't give you back the purple crayon. <laughs> took two and then to make it seem like she was being nice, gave back one. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I took your crayon. but hmm. That's the move. Or the purple drawing is from the, her, you know, magic powers. Yeah. She didn't yeah. really have to use oh, a yeah. green crayon to do the drawing because she's drawing the future using, like Harold, she's using a magical purple crayon. <laughs> right. Yeah. All the movie should have ended with her giving him back the purple crayon as he's leaving. <laughs> here you go. You didn't know I took this, but here you go. <laughs> We've seen the box of 64 crayons, so there are potentially 62 other crayons in the wind mm. somewhere that right. we do not know currently the whereabouts of. In the video game, you have to find all of them to get a special yeah. bonus. <laughs> so I was going to say that was a, an anthology book, a Waterworld uh, spinoff anthology book. Each one was, was the story right. of a different crayon. Well, I mean, it was the 90s. Every movie was made kid-friendly. So there's right. their Saturday morning cartoon there. Mm. <laughs> right. I did want to know why she's handing him things over the turbine blades. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah she's like, that. oh, yeah, she gave it's you a little this. Extra was, like, carefully kind of reaching Fuck. over... <laughs> if it was now i'd be like oh that's weird they you know put the cg turbine blades in right where her hand goes <laughs> right. but now it's like wait they really filmed that why would yeah. they do that they how that is she there. okay yeah how does she not lose a hand <laughs> 
or at least hit that plastic against skin. Whap, 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 as she <laughs> right, yeah. lowers her arm a little too low, <laughs> or just shreds she, the she shreds the drawing as she's handing it to him. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it was a beautiful. Yeah, oh. sorry. It was really nice. I promise. Here's a crayon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was the purple one. I promise. <laughs> the other day, this movie came up, and somebody was like, "Well, how? Like, why?" I think at first it came up as like, how how do they keep giving David Tui more money? <laughs> and then it was followed up with what made Waterworld not work. And I think one of the things was, why, I, I like to compare too many things to Ishtar, especially <laughs> I love that this was derisively called Fishtar by people. Mm-hmm. And I, and right. People were expecting something else when they went to see Ishtar. And I think part of that is maybe this... I, there's a lot of execution that could, you know, that I think led to this movie having problems. But there's also a lot of like, oh, well, if we're throwing so much into it, it's got to be crazy spectacle. And if they had kind of just focused on a little more kind of, oh, let's just tell this interesting story of this. Like rather than like, oh, before it was even released, there was already, you know, video game tie-ins mm. and theme park attractions and comic book, you know, miniseries and stuff like that. One of the culprits is not letting it just live its thing on its own, that it got kind of buoyed beyond what uh, almost like, have you guys seen the documentary about the making of Island of Dr. Moreau, the 90s one? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. You know, that same where it started out as a much smaller, you know, the guy, um, I, I can't remember his name. The guy did hardware and then started, you know, they're like, all right, you want to do an adaptation of this? Great. And it's smaller scale thing but then to get it going then all of a sudden like oh like Marlon Brando gets attached and then it comes way over his head because he's like well I'm not trying to make that movie then all of a sudden it's like great we're here's the action figure license and it's like whoa 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 (laughs) right and it made him you know freak out and run into the woods and I, I, I get that it seems like it got taken away from what it was yeah and it did seem like in the 90s and probably still now but like in the 90s especially every single movie that came out had that entire machine Right. The video game and the comic book and the action figures and everything's like, here's, we're handing you this blockbuster that you will love, and this will be the movie of your summer. And if that didn't work, then you're like, oh boy, that didn't, it it, it sort of like exaggerated the disappointment or something. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, you know, boy, I really didn't care. Like, you told me I was going to care, and I really didn't. The hype train was at full steam all the time. Right. Yeah. Maybe like, wait until maybe see if the movie's good or not and then then do the hype <laughs> okay <laughs> you know? the title of the movie is water world if the movie takes place on a world covered with water congratulations you fulfilled the premise that should be the beginning yeah. and end of your expectations right, right. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, since when does the media consuming public have any limit <laughs> on their expectations it's true yeah uh, <laughs> somebody who spent a lot of time in the 90s working at a store that sold a lot of tie-ins to stuff like this and spent a lot of time, you know, marking down merchandise <laughs> from the Lost in Space movie. And, <laughs> right. Uh, although it was a successful movie, but all the kind of tie-in memorabilia merchandise from ID4, like Independence Day, was, mm. was a big bust. Like stuff like that where they were like, oh, we're going to throw a bunch of crap at everything Star Wars now. Like, we're, you know. <laughs> right. Not everything needs an action figure. Not yeah. everything lends itself to an action figure, yeah. Right. Mm. Everybody just wants a repeat of the Star Wars model. Right. Without realizing the perfect storm that had to exist for Star Wars to have ended up the way it is now. Yeah. If you don't capitalize on that, 
then, and it's successful, then it's your fault. But if you do over-merchandise it and it's not successful, oh, it must be somebody in marketing. You know, it's like, oh, we didn't we didn't market the film right. We didn't advertise it correctly. <laughs> right. Audiences were too tired of this kind of a thing. So it's, let's blame the audience. It's only the fault of the corporation if they failed to account for that, if they missed yeah. out on doing it. Then somebody's going to get fired. Who's to blame for this pile of Jar Jar action figures? Yeah. <laughs> telling you, invest in Jar Jar. It's coming back around and people are going to be like... They're going to be snapping them up. 90s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blame it on the parents. Mm. Speaking of parents, the Mariner, as we mentioned earlier, comments that Enola doesn't look much like Helen, which is mm-hmm. an interesting conversation line to pursue the whole, thanks for giving me back my crayon. Thank you for acknowledging that she <laughs> won't take it again. By the way, <laughs> what's up with this whole mother-daughter situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Helen calls him out saying, I'm not her mother, if that's what you're asking. That's exactly what he's trying to get at. Instead of just saying, <laughs> hey, are you two mother and daughter or not? He right. tries to make some inane comment. Yeah, almost like an accusation or something. the conversation <laughs> there. Like, just right. ask. I love right. how bad at conversation he is because it's very appropriate to the character. Yeah, sure. yeah. I don't expect him to be smooth <laughs> at all. No. <laughs> no, despite his jazz. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's picking up nothing from that jazz. <laughs> I expect him to be blunt. She introduced a tiny, tiny crack for like him to, you know, it's like begrudgingly, like, she doesn't look like you. Uh, I don't care. She doesn't look like you. What's going on there? You know, what, yeah, right. you're right. He's asking, you know, oh, how do you know her? You are not her mother. So what's going on here? I'm getting a little personal. I'm curious. Are well, we child trafficking? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Should I alert the authorities? <laughs> It is awkward, but she doesn't seem offended by it. She was just kind of like, okay, like here's here's where the information you want goes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a common question that yeah. she gets. Yeah. Although I wonder, in that world, maybe it's maybe that situation is totally common. Like you end up taking care of a kid who is not yours. You know, like everybody's sort of it's a free for all, and you know, oh, this kid is abandoned, and I'm going to help her. We saw earlier in this movie. That on atolls, when drifters come in, sometimes they are offered the young women of the atoll to impregnate before they leave. Genetic diversity. Right. So the idea of mothers running around with fatherless children is not unheard of on this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. He might have been opening up the floodgates for, okay, we're in a sharing mood, so... Who did the Atoll elders make you sleep with in order to get Enola? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's a little bit like, what's your backstory? Right. And not like Enola has a backstory, which is different. But yeah. It's like, what's your, <laughs> like, what's, what's your backstory? What's your, what's, what, what, how did you get here? I was wondering in the background if he, Kevin Costner, had to wear the feet webbing the entire time or if they knew when his feet were going to be visible and when they were going to worry about it or not mm. like the hobbits or something do they always have the feet on yes yeah, it had to or wanted to <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> he's committed yeah he always put the gills on even if he didn't see him always put the webbed feet on yeah he strikes me as the kind of actor oh i'm in charge of this movie i'm gonna wear the feet all the time because i am the mariner yes right this is my water world you're just living <laughs> in it <laughs> Come to think of it, why doesn't he have webbed fingers? Like the man from Atlantis. Mm. Would that have been a better name for this movie? The man from Atlantis. (laughs) Mm. Or a tie-in somehow. Yeah. Have a little crossover scene. (laughs) Right. I'm still waiting for the 
Kevin Costner cameo in an Aquaman movie. Mm. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I'm waiting You're just for scrounging it. down below in sunken Denver or something <laughs> in the background. Do you think that this will get remade at some point? Oh. I don't think it made enough money initially. Well, that, that's why. I mean, like second chances for stuff like this. People seem to remake stuff that was already really good. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. And so everybody yeah. has to be annoyed. Yeah. Like, well, come yeah. on, we already have that. Don't redo it. <laughs> It'd be like remaking Ishtar or Heaven's Gate or something. It's like, well, wait a minute. That was notoriously a problem. Like, why would you redo it? Like, almost but ironically. I, like, It would have to be a passion project of someone's. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think will happen. I think somebody who, you know, we're not there yet. Now we're getting the people who liked the stuff from the 70s and 80s that, you know, were like, they grew up watching these things on cable or whatever. And they, you know, that's why we're getting, you know, we had a Tron sequel <laughs> and we had all this other stuff. And yeah. So in a couple of years, it'll be like, oh, no, I, I grew up watching water playing with the water world action figures and, and going <laughs> yeah. to see the water world stunt show and and i love this world and i'm going to make somebody who had a successful indie film is going to get tapped and be like oh let, let's do a water world because mm. it's going to be expectations are low mm-hmm. i think i would like to see that this movie this poor movie it has so much potential <laughs> it's got yeah. so many good elements in it it just doesn't come together well for yeah, there's some nothing reason. wrong with the idea. Yeah. Like, so the basic let's idea is take good. another whack at it. Yeah. They need to stop remaking movies that were good and start remaking movies that were bad. Yeah. If it is broke, do fix it. That <laughs> had <laughs> promise, but were the execution. Yeah. Movies that had problems in execution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 a a golden area for revisiting. But then would it be do you do a Lego sequel where it's like, oh, you have Kevin Costner do a cameo as the old man who's mm. handing something off to the, you know, you get your Timothy Chalamet or whatever, who's going to be the new Waterworld, <laughs> the new Mariner? Yeah. Do you have it just be a total remake from the ground up? Mm. My vote is remake from the ground up, mm. possibly using an earlier script from the development. I was trying to think as I was watching it, like, how do I want this to be different? Like, what is not satisfying to me about it? And like, do I want it to be tougher and more of like a punch in the face like the road warrior like what they're kind of trying to do or do i want it to be goofier like do i want them to embrace the goofiness like they kind of do with with dennis hopper do i want the whole movie to be dennis hopper from this movie Mm. like would that be better if they just didn't quite take it as straight and seriously as they try to sometimes and just let it be kind of crazier would that be a more satisfying experience Mm. i don't know it's a good question something to consider and there is something about the look of it too that would benefit from not i don't, I don't know it's so tough if there's a 90s look to this that really turns my stomach a little bit yeah and i, I don't know, know how, how do you explain that how do you describe what that is because i was trying to explain to my son how do you how to talk to your kids about water <laughs> 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 i couldn't put it into words really i wanted to blame the cinematography but it's also you know he it's the it's dean semler who also shot you know the mad max movies and and uh you know the young guns movies and and mm-hmm. uh other things that look better that look yeah. you know not they don't have that weird kind of mm, not gleam but there's yeah. a certain i mean maybe because those are all dustier movies <laughs> yeah they this look better blue and shiny these, this is trying to make a dusty movie on water maybe that's where <laughs> nowadays you could remake this entire movie and do it like they do the mandalorian Where you put everybody in a room surrounded by those giant screens and Mm -hmm. not in the middle of the ocean. Right. Piece of cake. 
Like Spielberg said, don't film in the middle of the ocean. And what do <laughs> right. they do? They go to the middle of the ocean. They went even farther into the ocean than they did with Jaws. Do most of it in, in, in-house. And then, you know, when you need some water scenes, you film them. Yeah. Fill mm-hmm. up a kiddie pool. Yeah. <laughs> or just go to, go to Universal and film at the, at the stunt show. Exactly. Yeah. They got a whole stunt stage all ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Pyrotechnics are already set up. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Here at the end of things... It's always good when two drifters meet that something be exchanged. So Pete and Tom, could you please tell our listeners where they can go on the internet and find more of you? The easiest place to find me and links to all my stuff is uh, IamTomTaylor.com. You can find stuff about the novel that I wrote and Memory of Todd Woods over there. And you can find links to all the shows like Indiana Jones Minute, ABCDTOS, ABC Devo, the Ditch Diggers, Caddyshack Minute, Blues Brothers Minute. Gosh, I've been busy. Wow. <laughs> it's been a long pandemic. It has. Similarly, I'm at PeteTheRetailer.com links to uh, most of my things. Uh, uh, the active podcasts that I'm doing, Star Wars Minute, we're in the middle of The Last Jedi right now, and um, ABCDTOS and the old things that I did, ABC Devo, Alphabetical, a uh, show called Nerd Geek Dork that was my first kind of foray into podcasting. And... Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting at least one or two things, but uh, most of it should be linked to from there, in addition to my social media things and all that. As for us, come back next time. Helen will tell Enola's backstory. The Mariner will ask about Enola's tattoo, and the crayon changes hands once again. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin. Thank you for joining us for our Waterworld episode 48. We'll see you next time.